In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 214. 214. It's not like 225 or 250 or 300 or nothing, but uh, n- it is a special episode nonetheless. Don't let the number fool you. <laughs> <laughs> or do let the number fool you if you would like. <laughs> Make it, maybe it'll build more suspense that way. I don't know. They probably already read the synopsis by now. I'm sure they did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you guys couldn't tell, we have a special episode this time around, and um, if you haven't read the synopsis yet, I guess it's a shock to you. Uh, this time around, we are having the, our first, uh, I don't want to say official, but I'm going to say official anyways, official interview of the new creative team or the new uh, uh, the new co-host team of the Lantern cast. I mean, we've had Daryl Banks on, of course, and he's been a great friend of the show. But in terms of, you know, the structured inter- uh, interview process, uh, and Mark's first official interview, by the way, uh, we've we we got somebody special on. You want you want to tell you want to do the honors and tell them who it is. Sure. As as I'm trying not to be too nervous, and Chad didn't. Chad really helped that too with the build up. This is your first interview. <laughs> <laughs> Don't screw it up, or it might be the last. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be our special guest for the evening is going to be, and as kind of almost foreshadowed by Chad's introduction about our friend to the show with Daryl that our. Our special guest this evening will be Ron Mars, who, of course, was the the architect, if you will, of not only the, and the creator of Kyle, but of course Emerald Twilight and the run that helped started pretty much in '94 and helped recreate the first, if you will, the first reinvigoration of the Green Lantern franchise. And you know, when before Emerald Twilight, that. Uh, Green Lantern was not exactly a big seller or a, a really relevant book, and of course, during the Mars Banks era, the you know, and Kyle's run, Green Lantern became it became in again. It became something cool. So That's... and he so so he obviously has a sorry he he obviously has a huge uh, when you look at the legacy of people who have had influence on the on the Green Lantern book. Certainly in the in the modern age, you know, Ron Mars is right up there. Ron Mars is the Grand Poobah. If you, if you will, <laughs> of the Kyle Rayner run of Green Lantern. He was also pretty uh, influential in other things, such as, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Silver Surfer. I know he did a little bit of Thor for a little while. Uh, and he did a couple other things that we'll talk about later on in the episode. Um, you know, a couple uh, issues here and there that you may have heard us mention on the show once or twice before. 
and a few things that he's currently doing, which which people will probably have a great deal of interest in as well. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, a certain uh, summer event coming up from DC. Whether or not at this point in the, the recording, peeling back the fourth wall, um, <laughs> we we don't know if he'll be talking about it with us. But uh, let's see what let's see what we can. And, and without further uh, ado. Uh, <laughs> We'll bring on uh, Mr. Grand Poobah himself. <laughs> well, of course, he's not hearing any. He's, he's going to hear all this when it airs. Uh, so, I don't know. Maybe he'll put it in like a signature in the future or something. <laughs> Grand, Grand Poobah. Grand Poobah Mars. Uh, <laughs> Just, you, can, you, can have, you can have Fred and Barney introduce him. Uh, but without further ado, guys, we, we uh, took some time out. We talked with Ron Mars, or rather he took some time out and talked with us. And uh, here we go. Sounds good. Let's go. All right, guys, so we got Ron Mars on the phone. Hey, Ron, how you doing, sir? I'm good. Thanks for calling, guys. Appreciate it. We appreciate you coming on, absolutely. Uh, super, super long history in the in, in the comics industry and still ongoing. Uh, before we jump straight into, you know, more specific questions, do you want to, you know, kind of tell everybody how you got your start in the industry? Um, I was actually a journalist uh, at a local newspaper, um, so I was, you know, this is when I was, you know, like 22 years old, I was a kid. Um, and, uh, I was already friends with, uh, guys who were in the comics business, uh, Jim Starlin, Terry Austin, Bernie Wrightson, Fred Hambeck. Um, and so those guys were kind of in my social circle and, uh, uh, Jim Starlin's the one who mentioned to me that maybe I would want to think about writing comics for a living, uh, I had copy edited one of Jim's uh, prose novels, and he liked what I did, uh, and you know it just sort of grew from there. Where you know, hey, look, if somebody asks if you want to write comics, you, you don't say no. Uh, <laughs> so Jim Jim showed me the ropes, um, wrote co-wrote my first few jobs with me, took me into Marvel and introduced me around, and and I've honestly been working in the business ever since then. I haven't you know I haven't had a day without work. Uh, in 25 years. So I'm, uh, obviously incredibly fortunate and, you know, really kind of hit the lottery in terms of, of being in the right place at the right time to get taken by the hand and led into the business. For sure. For sure. Mark, speaking of the right place, the right time, you want to, you want to ask him about the, uh, I know that was, I was just thinking as Ron was talking (laughs) that just talk about, talk about setting up a perfect segue. (laughs) (laughs) So, speaking of that right place and right time, uh, would you like to tell everybody how you got to be the writer of Green Lantern? And, and since obviously your period of Green Lantern is super important, and what you've done with did, and you know what you did with the book and the legacy that you've left behind, so why don't you tell people exactly how that all came about? Um, I was actually down at uh, Marvel's offices the day that I got the call to take over Green Lantern. Um, I had been down uh, having a meeting with my editor uh, about Thor, which I was which I was writing, and we were starting to plan for my second year on the book, which which eventually never happened because I I the editor and I couldn't come to agreement as to as to what direction the book was going to be, and you know that had more to do with them being unable to decide what direction they wanted. Um, but I had been down at Marvel, uh, got back, uh, hopped the train back upstate, and my wife and I went out for pizza. And when I got back from uh, from dinner, uh, 
you know, eight, nine o'clock at night, there was a call from DC saying that, uh, you know, they were, they were going to go in a different direction on Green Lantern. And would I be interested in, in taking the book? And the other end of the phone was uh, the Green Lantern editor, Kevin Dooley, who I had done a few short stories for previously, uh, but also um, the sort of three-headed editorial uh, Ghidra that was in place at the time, which was Denny O'Neill, uh, Mike Carlin, and Archie Goodwin, as well as Paul Levitz in the room. Um, so when you get a call from those guys, you know that it's, it, you know, it's not a hi, how are you kind of chat. It's a, it's a fairly important one. And, um, you know, they, they offered me the book and I started saying, oh man, that, that would be really cool. I was always kind of a, uh, Green Lantern fan in terms of, of the Green Lantern on Super Friends. I always thought it was so cool to see how on Super Friends I loved the, uh, I loved the costume as a kid. And then the other shoe dropped and they said, well, actually, your first story is going to be taking Hal off stage and and creating a new Green Lantern. Uh, obviously, that was a fairly, fairly large departure from where I thought we were going to go. And and ultimately, I I asked for for some time to think about the offer because I knew it was going to be, um, you know, I knew it was going to be fairly uh fairly high high profile but also fairly controversial because of the way they wanted to to make the switch um and i don't recall exactly how long i took to make the decision but it was it was more than a week so probably you know 10 days to two weeks i finally uh you know i finally uh got got back to them we discussed more details and i and i accepted the job you might say you were expecting a bit of heat. <laughs> or, he, or he caught some heat. Yeah. Bum. Actually, nobody would say that. <laughs> <laughs> right, Chad? What, what are you thinking? Bazinga. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. So how, how much do they – I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this. How, you obviously at this point knew pretty early on that they wanted to to get Hal out of the way. Did, how much did they tell you that? How much was your decision, as in how to how to do it, or how much did they tell you? Well, you need to do this. You need to do this. basically. Did they tell you like the things you had to do and you could build around it, or was it they just told you, well, you got to you basically have to get rid of Hal and and let's see what you come up with and well. No, there was a there was a fairly uh, fairly coherent uh, outline that they gave me for issues forty eight, forty nine, and fifty. They knew they knew pretty much what they wanted to have happen in those three issues. And it was maybe a, you know, a couple paragraphs per issue of the, the broad strokes of, of what was going to happen to Hal and Hal confronting Sinestro confronting the guardians. So the, the broad strokes were in place and then the, the details were sort of left up to me. Um, and the, you know, the last line of the outline that they sent, which, you know, which at that point we're, we're talking faxes, not even emails. Um, they sent the, the last line in the outline was, uh, and, and then a new green lantern is introduced. That was, that was it in terms of overall direction for who and what the new, the new green lantern was going to be. Um, so for me, you know, the, the, the Emerald Twilight storyline was, uh, was really kind of in place in terms of, 
of the the plot points that I needed to hit. Um, the the, de- the details were were mine, but the overall um, the overall direction of the story was already in place. Um, the the cool thing was that the the creation of Kyle and the the direction of the book afterwards were really kind of left in in my hands. Uh, I think probably a lot more than uh, I had a lot more freedom than than you would be given now uh, working on a you know working in a shared universe for a kind of a, a uh, uh, you know a corporate client. Speaking of, I, I just wanted to ask you know with the new fifty two and what they've got going on after the fact and everything, especially when the new fifty two hit, they were very. Uh, despite the fact that they didn't want to share, they didn't upfront share what was still quote in continuity and what wasn't. It kind of felt like they had these this rigorous game plan that they didn't tell anybody about, but it was clearly in place. So when they get rid of Hal and essentially get rid of the core, you are free to create this new character and go from there. But obviously, the core is no longer in play so was there like a set of rules after Hal is gone like regardless of whether you know it's like a small you know five five commandments that you're not supposed to break or whatever was there a small group of rules that you had to play within but otherwise it's wide open not really i mean it was it was it was pretty loose they they really gave gave me and gave daryl quite a bit of quite a bit of latitude in terms of figuring out who the new character was going to be and and what the direction of of the story was going to be. I mean honestly obviously we're talking about 20 years ago now. Right. Um and the way comics were done then gave a lot more freedom to the creators. Uh, you know, you you didn't you weren't free to run wild like a bull in a china shop, but you could chart your own course a bit more. Um the 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 individual titles and the individual uh, creative teams weren't as editorially editorially dictated uh, as they are now, um, and part of that is just a, a, a purely uh, financial kind of basis. Um, you know, twenty years ago, these these characters were comic book characters. Mm-hmm. Um, now all of these characters are multimedia icons worth billions. I mean, literally billions. Um, so the, you know, the corporate parents are going to exert more control over what's going on in the comics because what goes on in the comics, uh, obviously provides the seeds from which the movies and the video games and the direct to video stuff all springs. And that, that stuff's, that stuff's worth a lot of money. Uh, so, uh, as you would expect, uh, the people that, that are in charge on a corporate level, uh, look over your shoulder quite a bit more than, than they did two decades ago. Right. Right. That's, that's, that's certainly true. I mean, obviously, especially if you look at Green Lantern, you just see it's become such a, a family of books, which of course at that, at that time didn't exist. It was, we were, we were lucky to have one book at the time. <laughs> Well, there, you know, there was, it was a family of books prior to Emerald Twilight, and then True. it was boiled down to to one book, uh, and eventually grew back into a you know a multi book franchise. Um, you know, comics are comics are cyclical. Uh, yes, and uh, you know, it there are periods when uh, you know there are periods when there was one Avengers book, mm-hmm. but you know, 
Who, well, one X Men book, which really seems funny nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's, <laughs> it's just uh, you know, it's it's just the way it's just the way this stuff uh, evolves. Um, you know, and, and frankly, I was I was really happy that we had one Green Lantern book because then it was kind of all all in my purview. Um, you know, we did. I tried to do the annuals and the miniseries and and all the stuff like that because. Um, you know, I, I wanted to keep a I wanted to keep a handle on on what was going on within the concept. Um, you know, there there's a there's a sense of of too many cooks uh, spoiling the spoiling the soup. And um, you know, the more creative people you have involved in something, the more coordination, the more editorial is involved, um, and it, and it becomes a you know it, it becomes this. Um, becomes this effort in which uh, editorial ends up taking a lot more control of it simply to um, simply to coordinate it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think uh, and I think most creators would tell you this, you generally have more fun when you're left alone. You know it doesn't mean that one one way is better than another, but if you kind of can go off into the corner and do your own thing, I think you end up being more satisfied with the product because it's 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 more a product of of you and the art team and less of you know a a bunch of editorial people looking over your shoulder yeah i I remember i was speaking with denny o'neill a few years back and he told me in his role as an editor that was what he always thought of as a creator what the best editor was the one that was the most hands-off i mean still did their job but didn't direct the creative direction speaking of you know the 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 cyclical nature of things. I thought I think I just find it. I don't know if you you thought of this at the time or even if, if you think of it now. I just find it funny that Green Lantern is quote unquote dying in the late '60s, and they DC asked Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams to save it in the '70s, and then Denny O'Neill is one of the people who asks you to save Green Lantern in the '90s. <laughs> well, you you know you get more latitude on this stuff when sales aren't good. Yeah. Um, you know when. W- you know, success has many fathers, failures an orphan. Yes. So <laughs> if, if a book is tanking, nobody really wants to be involved in it, you know, and 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 therefore you get, you know, you get more latitude. Um, that was one of the lessons that Jim Starlin taught me very early on is that, you know, yeah, working on working on uh, a, a franchise like like X-Men or Superman is great. But you also have a lot more, a uh, lot more red tape to jump to, a lot more red tape to deal with, a lot more hoops to jump through, because these are, you know, successful multi-book franchises. If you can get a hold of something that's kind of off to the side a little bit, you're you're more able to do your own thing. And certainly, obviously, in in Jim's career, um, he was able to do some really cool stuff off to the side with, you know. With Warlock, with running the Thanos storyline through uh, through the the annuals in the seventies and the Surfer stuff in the nineties, um, you can you can frankly get away with a lot more than you can if you're working on a really popular franchise because then everybody wants a piece of it. Yeah. Now regarding Emerald Twilight, and you, and you can probably look, you can approach this question either way. If- uh, from any di- any direction you would like. Is there anything you think you would have done differently, whether whether you want to look at it from the point of view if you had complete control back then that they just said, gave you like the bare bones of what we need to have done? 
if you could have flushed it out differently, do you think you would have changed it? Or looking back at it for maybe now, with hindsight, is there something that maybe you would have liked to have done that you either didn't or couldn't have, couldn't have done at the time? Yeah, I think really the only thing I would change is that I would I would like to have six issues to tell that story instead of three uh, or eight issues. Um, the the marching orders at that point were look, you know, we're going to make the change in issue fifty, so you have that much space to get this story told. And here's here are the chunks that you're going to put into each issue. Um, and it was a you know it was an abrupt change, and and probably from a character standpoint, we didn't have the room to uh, to sell Hal's descent as much as we would have wanted uh, because of the space limitations. Um, so I think more than anything, I would have preferred to have more pages to tell the story. I don't think I would I would I would tell the story substantially different. You know, frankly, that's something I've never even thought about for the most part because. Look, you're you're playing with somebody else's toys. They come in and tell you, "Look, this is how we want you to play with this toy for this for this amount of time," um, and you can either take the job or not. But there's no sense in in taking the job and then trying to talk the people out of it. Yeah. You know, somebody somebody was going to come in and do it. Come in and tell that story. Um, I, you know, I was excited by the challenge of it ultimately. And you, you speaking, you said earlier you were a big fan of Hal and, and the fact that they were going to, you know, quote unquote, get rid of him, um, you know, kind of gave you pause for a little bit. Was that why, for the majority uh, of your of your the, the this large chunk of your run there, that Hal showed up so many times? You know, the two issue parallax view. Uh, you know, the Emerald Knights, uh, the issue 119 where Hal as the Spectres, you know, he's holding Kyle in his hand on the cover, all that stuff? Um, I don't know. I, you know, I did 75 issues or something like that. So um, Hal maybe appeared in 10 of them. I, 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 you know, that's that's a guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like a huge, you know, a huge amount of the run. Um, but certainly there was... There was there were, you know, there were two, um, there were two processes, you know, in mind. Hal was obviously a huge part of the Green Lantern legacy, but you know, certainly the biggest part, uh, bigger than than Alan Scott or Guy Gardner or, or John Stewart. Um, so it's natural that you, you know, you touch on on the legacy aspects of of what you're doing. Um, the other, you know, the flip side of that coin was wanting to establish Kyle as his own hero um, and even establish Kyle as a different kind of hero than Hal because if we were just going to bring in somebody that was fairly similar to Hal, why did you make the change in the first place? Right. Uh, and and to me, some some of the best ways to, um, to do that is to, you know, have Hal as a presence in the book sometimes to draw a contrast be- between him and Kyle. Um, the other thing that happened is is they you know DC made a decision to use Parallax as the villain in Zero Hour, uh-huh. um, which which led to other storylines where where Hal was going to appear. Um, it uh, and and you know not just the not just the two parter but uh, Final Night and the Parallax one shot. So um, you know in in a shared universe. 
you generally don't get to just keep all the toys to yourself. Uh, other people are going to come in and play with them too. Now, with Zero Hour, when they made that decision to make Hal the you know the big bad of Zero Hour, obviously we'll when we'll talk about Final Night because that was a more that was obviously that had, had a huge impact on probably on on, the, on you and what you could do with him. But in, back in Zero Hour, did that decision to make Hal you know the the big bad of Zero Hour? How much? How did that change the like your your planned use at the time of Hal? Was it a dramatic change, or was it just a uh, was it more of a, like a subtle shift of what you were planning on doing at least short term with him? I uh, I actually didn't know that he was the big villain in Zero Hour until very late in the game because the editor forgot to tell me. Oi. <laughs> uh, he he thought he had told me that that's where things were going to go, and then I got some uh, you know some black and whites of of Zero Hour. Uh, when the when the reveal was was made, and I was like, w- w- "Wait, w- he's the bad guy?" And they said, "Oh, y- yeah, we told you that like a couple months ago, didn't we?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> so it's just you know, it was just one of those things that fell fell between the cracks, and um, I didn't I didn't know that I you know I didn't know, and they didn't know that I didn't know. Um, in terms of of you know how I dealt with with the parallax character, it probably didn't change things that much because, um, you know, it was how he was played in zero. I was, was fairly consistent with, with the way that I, uh, the way that I was seeing him, which was, which was essentially, I, you know, I never really saw parallax as a villain. I saw him as, if anything, an anti-hero, um, much more like Magneto, right. um, you know, a guy who, who ended up, being an antagonist, but was firmly convinced that he was doing the right thing for the right reason. Yeah, and I think, and that's one of the things about when the, the you know the whole retcon of Hal's parallax that still bothers me because he because he wasn't exactly what you said. I mean, it's, it's that's exactly how from a reader. Obviously, you're the creator, so it makes sense that you would see, that you know you would see it that way. But as a reader, as someone who was a big parallax guy when during when all this was going down, I have to say, I, I absolutely agree with that perception that I didn't, he, he was never, I never saw him as a villain that he, you know, he, he was, he was trying to do certainly from his perspective, he was trying to do what was right. He just wasn't always going about it in the best way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, generally villains who are the heroes of their own stories tend yes. to be a lot more interesting. Um, and that in a lot of respects, that's one of the reasons, that's one of the things that separates a lot of Marvel villains from a lot of DC villains that, you know, the, the, uh, the adage was that, um, Marvel villains wanted to take over the world. DC villains wanted to rob banks. <laughs> um, you know, Marvel, Marvel gave you, uh, Dr. Doom who was completely convinced of the righteousness of what he was doing. Um, you know, DC gave you the rainbow Raider who couldn't manage to knock off a bank. They actually did him justice in the Flash TV show. I mean, a little bit. <laughs> but they used him in an interesting way. How about that? <laughs> uh, but just, yeah, I mean, just in, in, in a general sense, yeah. Um, yeah. that was how I saw what Hal sort of transformed into, which was um, not a villain, but certainly uh, not a villain, but definitely an antagonist. Um, and it was, it, it was for from the way I was thinking, it was a more Marvel-style take on on a villain just like Kyle was in a lot of ways a more Marvel style take on a on a lead character. 
plus the name was so perfect for, for for Hal anyway at that point, which is another thing I have a problem with the retcon with because it makes no sense to have a fear entity named that, but for, but for Paral but for Hal seeing the universe from a different point of view, it made perfect sense that Parallax was just an appropriate name. Uh, it was it was a name that uh, that Daryl came up with actually that we were and we were kicking it around on the phone and he tossed that on and I said, well that that's obviously it. That's that's the one. You know, it's. Uh, you know, we all knew it was the right name when we heard it. Right. And I asked the zero hour thing only because, well, not only, but because I, I think zero hour zero, the, the your excuse me, Green Lantern zero from zero hour. I think that was one of the best issues you guys did. I thought I, I thought that was just a, a really great epilogue to zero hour. So I just, I wasn't so I just that was a good Hal Kyle story to begin with, but it just seemed it did so much to kind of flesh out. Like the their relationship and to, to establish it. Yeah, it so it I, was notably missing from the zero hour trade. Um, that's true. I never even thought about that. It 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 really didn't uh, make the trade. It it was. Um, I mean, it was definitely supposed to be a kind of an kind of an epilogue to the whole zero hour storyline. So, you know, once I found out that that Parallax was the villain, and that we were doing the zero issues, then it 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 made sense that. Um, that was a fairly uh, integral part to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Now we don't want to get too too bogged down in your Green Lantern run because we do have other things to to ask you. But we, you know, the the final the final night thing. Uh, what again? It was kind of you know you, you're playing in someone else's sandbox with their characters. How much of a say did you have in the whole final night thing? Uh, really virtually none. I mean, that, that came from a different editorial office. Mm Uh, and, uh, it was, it was really kind of rammed down the throat of, of my editor and, you know, and his group of books. And he actually tried to, um, uh, tried to step in and, and, uh, not have, uh, you know, not have the outcome as it, as it went down. But, um, you know, again, it's a shared universe, uh, and sometimes you don't get your way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, w- I was disappointed because I, I thought, uh, I thought how really worked as an antagonist, uh, on a, on a large scale. Again, that, that sort of, uh, Magneto type presence who, um, obviously had, had deep relationship ties to a lot of the heroes, um, I thought there was a lot to be mined from that, uh, and plus, I just I, I liked writing writing that sort of uh, tragic antihero that that the character uh, became. Um, but decisions were made elsewhere that um, that uh, Hal had to be redeemed in some ways, in, in some way, uh, you know, dying to to save the save the planet. Mm. And you, I, I, one of my favorite storylines, uh, this is not a detractor at all from your run, but one of my favorite storylines in the whole Kyle Rayner run is the, um, is the Power of Ion storyline, which happened actually ten, about 10 issues after you had left the, the series. When you left the series at that, that, uh, that, that moment, did you have like a rough outline of where the story was heading, or did the next creator just kind of pick up from there? Um, I, I really didn't, uh, I mean, I knew in my head where I wanted to take the series, mm-hmm. but, um, I didn't, I didn't leave that behind. Mm-hmm. 
when I when I left the book because I don't think that's fair to the to the creators who follow you. Um, you know, they should be able to come in and and chart their own course without without picking up the uh, without picking up the threads that you leave behind. Um, I mean, I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't expect to have to do that following somebody on a series, uh, and I would never you know put a put another creative team in the uh, in the position of having to do that from my stuff. Mm-hmm. If you would stay on the book longer, did you have like did did you want to bring the core back, and did you have in your own mind's eye? Did you have like your how you would do it if you either if you wanted to do it, or they said we want you to bring the core back? Did you in your mind's eye know how you would do it or how you would approach it? Yeah, I mean, eventually that's what I wanted to do was was bring, uh, you know, bring the core back, have Kyle be the architect of starting a new Green Lantern core, but keep it, you know, keep it to a fairly small number of characters, you know a dozen or two dozen um, to, to you know, police the entirety of the universe. Um, so that I was kind of putting the groundwork in place for that to, to become an eventuality and for, um, for John Stewart to kind of, to kind of be the guy in charge of the core. Um, but obviously I, I stepped away from the book with issue 125. So, so none of that came to pass. Well, I, when you when you came back at, to to Green Lantern, obviously uh, it was the the final the final legs of the run. I just want to say I, I actually uh, uh, I, I purchased a, a piece of artwork. The only piece of original artwork I own is actually from issue one eighty. Um, it's actually the page where Kyle is giving his mom a hug before he before he leaves. Uh, he you know he's helping her clean the dishes with a construct made and all of that. Um, and that's that's one of the few pieces I own, just mostly because it, it reminds me of my mother and uh, just your hand and all that. I, I you know thank you for that. Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, and what 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 was uh, what was starting the run and ending having the bookends of this uh, essentially series? What was that like for you? Um, you know, it wasn't anything that I planned on. Uh, actually, uh, I just uh, you know. Peter Tomasi, who was the editor of the book at that at that point, he was on staff and obviously has since left and has a great writing career of his own. Um, you know, he uh, he called me and said, uh, "Hey, we're you know we're going to wind up uh, we're going to wind up this volume of the book and eventually bring Hal back. Would you come back and and you know kind of do an epilogue, take take the last six issues?" And um, I had just uh, I had just left CrossGen because I could see that uh, that that was going to go the way of the Titanic, and um, so it, it, it all worked out nicely in terms of of you know coming back and and uh, going back to freelance and, and restarting my uh, my my freelance career, um, and and plus it's you know. Kyle is always going to be a character that is near and dear to me because uh, Daryl and I co-created him. So um, even though, you know, as a creator, when you create something for Marvel or DC, you know that it's not yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you don't you don't own it. You can't tell them what to do with it. Um, you create something and you leave it behind, and then they do what they want with it. Um, so. Having said that, and sort of understanding that that's the reality of it, 
there's still a there's still an attachment because it's like you know it's it's like your baby mm-hmm. um it's 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 the baby you brought into the world and then and then you get to raise him for a while and then he's passed on to other foster parents and they get to raise him for a while uh so there was an attraction to coming back uh to coming back with the um uh coming back with the the notion of kind of wrapping kind of wrapping the whole the whole volume uh and putting a period at the end of Kyle's story at least for that chapter mm-hmm. And I got to ask, because you mentioned it, you know, Kyle being your baby, and I know that you don't want to put any restrictions on any other creators, but I, since you're the, you and Daryl together are the creator of Kyle Rayner, it's rare that I get to ask this question about a character. So I wanted to ask, in your mind, can you define Kyle Rayner? Like, what his personality, who is Kyle Rayner to you? Uh, he's he's an everyman character. Um, you know, I, I I still tend to think that there are uh, there are three basic character archetypes in comics. Uh, one of them, uh, one of them is the Superman, which is is Superman, which you know, godlike, uh, a godlike character with godlike powers. Um, the other is is a uh, a sort of driven Dark Avenger, and that's obviously for the you know the Batman school. And then there's the Everyman, which is Spider Man. You know, um, the the thing for me was that I grew up reading mostly Marvel books, uh, and the Marvel style of characterization, which made the characters more relatable, gave them feet of clay to a certain extent, um, gave them some flaws, was much more appealing to me than than the the DC characters, which in a lot of ways, at when I was a kid, and and obviously before that. Um, during the the Silver Age, um, the characters didn't really have very interesting lives out of the costumes, and they didn't really have any flaws. Um, they were kind of square jawed heroes for the most part. So um, when I was a kid, I was just as as engaged by um, Peter Parker's uh, love life and the fact that he needed to to make the rent for that month. I was just as engaged by that stuff as I was in what he did in costume. Um, so I tried to bring some of that sensibility to Kyle where he was identifiable for the readers and he was just a, you know, he was just a guy who was thrust into this position. Um, I, I generally use the, the illustration of, of um, you know, I find a character like... Um, the the Cary Grant character in North by Northwest, mm-hmm. who's just a, who's just an ordinary guy thrust into an extraordinary situation, I find that more interesting as a reader and a writer than I do a character like Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, who's really good at everything. He's an extraordinary guy in an extraordinary situation. To me, that's not quite as interesting because I want to see, I want to see a character strive and be really tested. Uh, in their circumstances rather than being, uh, pretty, you know, from the outset being pretty able to handle it all. Right. And, and yeah, Kyle certainly, I think the every man thing definitely worked with Kyle. I think, I think you guys did a really good job with that. Um, yeah. And, and, And part of the, you know, part of the reasoning was that, um, how, Hal's character was very much, um, 
steeped in, in to me, the the 60s. He's steeped in the age in which he was created. Um, you know, he he is a uh, square-jawed, confident hero, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think he works wonderfully, especially in the 60s. I think um, New Frontier Hal is one of the best depictions ever. Um, Amen. But um, but if I, I had no interest in writing Hal Light when I came on to the book. Um, if I was going to do that, just let me keep Hal in the book and we'll tell new stories with him. Um, I felt like we should go to the opposite end of the character spectrum if we were going to replace Hal. Um, I asked if if the character, if the new Green Lantern could be a woman, maybe be an alien. Those were both, you know, turned down. They said, we, you know, we'd prefer you keep it a, a male. Um, but other than that, those were the only marching orders I was given. Now, regarding the Ion series, um, where 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 did you want that book to go, or where did you expect it to go? Let's say versus how it kind of you know kind of ended up. Um, it was it was initially supposed to be an ongoing series. Uh, right. That that was the way I had signed on to it. That it was going to be a, 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 a an ongoing series, um, and it was going to be basically Kyle's adventures in outer space. Um. As we got deeper into it, they decided to make some of the other books that that came out at that at that point uh, ongoings and have some of the others be twelve issue uh, twelve issue series, which ultimately you know cool that's a publishing decision and and you have to you know you have to roll with those punches. Um, the other thing that happened towards the end of the series is that we ended up having to to fold some of our storylines into other DCU storylines which kind of truncated some of the stuff that we were planning to do with our series. But, you know, again, it, this is what, this is what happens in a shared universe. Sometimes mm-hmm. uh, you're not, you're not always free to chart your own course. And, um, and sometimes you have to sublimate what you're doing to the overall plan in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not, but that goes with the territory. And, and as a creator, if, if you're going to bitch and moan about, oh, I had to change my storyline because uh, because of something else going on in a different book, you probably shouldn't be working in a shared universe because that's always, uh, you know, that's that's always a possibility dangling over your head. That's true. Well, how did you approach the Parallax one shot from Sinestro Corps? I thought that was another really, really good story, too. I thought um, just from a point of view that now now you use you're still using Kyle. It's kind of like a version of Parallax, though not obviously your version. And now you have a different understanding, or the retcon understanding of what Parallax, of what Parallax is for you to work with. Was that how? How was that? Um, you know, that was cool. It was it was nice to be invited back to play with the toys. Um, that was a situation where um, where there were specific story beats that needed to be hit in in each of those in each of those one shots, each of those tie ins. So you know, it's not like it's not like coming into the character and they just let you do whatever you want. Um, again, it's it, there's an there's a larger overall framework, and you have to you have to fit within that. Mm-hmm. And now, it, it, kind of taking a departure because we like, again, I don't want to keep you. You know, <laughs> we we're well aware of your body of work being more than just Green Lantern, but kind of a couple of other issues uh, outside of the Green Lantern thing, although one's kind of related. 
Uh, I swear I'll wrap up this uh, one of these lines of sentences at one point. <laughs> <laughs> the, time him, Ron. Time him. One, one of one of my favorite uh, series, or it, uh, it was not even series. It was just like four issues. It was the one man JLA story. I don't know if you remember the Superman one forty seven, where Superman. It's this, this thing where Superman. Uh, I, I guess Jor El is running through scenarios, and you know what if. Uh, Kal-El got sent to Oa, what would have happened? Yeah, well, you know, uh, certainly um, uh, certainly that was uh, that was a, you know, it wasn't like a what-if story, it was kind of, you know, really a what-if story. Right. Um, they had um, DC had contacted me uh, well, you know, I was working for him at the time, I might have even been exclusive at the time, Um you know, DC rang up and said, "We, you know, we'd like, we need a story, a four issue storyline to serve as a buffer across the Superman books, uh, which I had actually done once before uh, as well. Uh, you know, come in and write a four issue arc that uh, they can plug in for a month and let the uh, let the Superman books, which you know, which were four four month four different monthly books. So basically, you were getting a Superman weekly comic all year." Um, you know, let that let the regular teams jump ahead a little bit. Um, and the one man JLA was was actually kind of a retelling of a story from uh, the the 50s or 60s. I'm not I'm not recalling exactly when it came out initially, um, but it was it was certainly the inspiration was was from an an older um, uh, an older storyline, uh, and obviously a, a more more simple more. Um, uh, more silver agey kind of storyline, but they wanted to sort of retrofit that into a into a four issue uh, a four issue arc for for the Superman books. Um, so I ended up doing the doing the first couple of them, and then I I eventually had to uh, step away from it because, um, uh, as I recall, my uh, my wife and I and and uh, our son, who was quite young at the time, we were uh, going to London and Paris on vacation. And they needed the next batch of issues right in that vacation window, so I kind of had a choice of finishing those issues or or making good on my promise to take my wife to London and Paris. So uh, obviously, I I'm still I'm still married, so I, I guess I made the right choice. <laughs> uh, spe- speaking from uh, one of the the former co-hosts of the show, uh, Jim Ford. The, that cover of Superman 147, he's had uh, a several artists do like a work on a jam piece, just re- recreating that cover. That's that's how deep his love of that that issue goes. Uh, that's that's the that's the one with uh, with Superman as a Green Lantern, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that was that was the one that I completely did solo, and that's actually one of my one of my favorite issues, um, in, in no small part because of the cover, which is a Walt Simonson piece, right? Uh, and Walt is, you know, one of my two or three favorite creators ever, uh, and also a friend. So when they, you know, when they said, "Hey, we'd like you to do this, this, uh, you know, JLA Superman as various JLA members kind of storyline," I was like, "Oh, oh, okay, I guess we can do that." <laughs> uh, and then they said, "And Walt's going to do all the covers." I was like, "Well, that sweetens the bottle." <laughs> awesome. <laughs> But it, it, speaking of the kind of what if concept, another one of my favorite issues, and I would kill myself if uh, if I didn't <laughs> ask you this question. I didn't know until I was researching. I was on your website looking through the the various things you're credited with. 
didn't know till today that you had done this because you know every now and then you just kind of enjoy a story you kind of forget to <laughs> to look at the the creative box for whatever reason there are a very small handful of what if issues that i really enjoy one of which is what if silver surfer possessed the infinity gauntlet i love that what if story can you please tell me about that that and, and and you you mentioned Warlock earlier with with Jim Starlin. I actually just started getting into that uh, by and by, bought a trade the like the complete Jim Starlin Warlock trade. I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, that's great stuff. I mean, some of the, uh, I mean, some of my still most cherished comics are the uh, Avengers Annual and the Marvel Two in One Annual that uh, were basically Jim's vehicles to tell the rest of the Warlock and Thanos stories that he wanted to tell. Right. Um, you know, and I, I can remember grabbing those off a of spinner rack as a kid. And now, you know, now Jim's the one that got me into, into the business and he's still one of my best friends. Um, the, uh, you know, the what if job was basically what if at that point uh, was a book that, you know, anybody could kind of come in and pitch and, the editor for that book was actually the same editor for the Silver Surfer book, which is where I got my start um, with with Jim co-writing some stuff with me. And uh, so just looking to pick up a little bit more work uh, while while I was in the first, I don't know, probably even in the first year of my career, um, the the editor invited me. The editor's uh, editor's name is Craig Anderson. Uh, obviously my first editor and certainly somebody who I learned a lot from, um, you know, he, he invited me to pitch for, for what if stuff. So I would send in, you know, five or six ideas for a, for a what if storyline. And, um, you know, it, Marvel really used that as a, as a proving ground for people to come in and kind of prove their chops and, 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 and obviously fill up pages too. But, um, you know, it was a, it was a nice learning ground for me, and certainly the the Surfer Infinity Gauntlet one uh, was one of the first things I wrote. So uh, I'm sure it's probably pretty terrible, uh, but uh, <laughs> no, not at I all. Got, <laughs> I, got paid, I got I got paid for it, man. So it was you know, I I I, <laughs> I, I love it. It's it's that uh, it's that. What if Spider Man still possessed the cosmic power or, or something like that? And and one other one I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but like of the whole what if series that I've read, those three. <laughs> so you're you're in you're in good company. <laughs> well, I probably did four or five what if issues, and and you know, gun to my head, I couldn't name them all. But uh, you know, early in early in your career, everybody does those those kind of gigs that are you know one offs and and kind of uh proving ground sort of things because you're just you're just um you know you're you're trying to get work and you're also trying to improve your craft right so speaking of the silver surfer <laughs> how was it to do unholy alliances since basically you were using you are you got to kind of do the best of both worlds there because you went back to the silver surfer where you started and yet you got to use you know, Kyle, and and put them all in one story. So how how was that, and how did that story come actually come about? Um, I think I was actually working on both books simultaneously. I I was definitely working on both books simultaneously as a monthly assignment. Um, 
which which hardly ever happens now because Marvel and DC are such uh, armed camps compared to one another that there's not a whole lot of crossover between uh, between the companies in terms of creators at the same time. Um, but uh, you know there there were a lot of crossovers being done at that point. Uh, so Green Lantern Surfer seemed like the obvious one, and it wasn't too hard of a sell to get. Um, to get Marvel and DC to uh, to sign off on it, uh, it was you know it was pretty easy. And obviously, I was working with two editors that I had worked with for uh, for for a while, so the whole thing was a was a pretty smooth process. Um, and I love doing crossovers. I love doing the intercompany stuff, uh, and I've been fortunate enough to do a number of them. Um, you know, those are just those are just fun stories to do, um, and then. As we were working on that, the 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 reality of Marvel versus DC um, presented itself. So that's why the ending of Green Lantern Silver Surfer uh, is what it is as a lead in to uh, to the larger Marvel versus DC storyline. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> uh, Daryl Daryl uh, likes telling the story about uh, how he practically begged to, to draw Galactus in there <laughs> and you granted um, you granted him his wish <laughs> yeah we had to you know obviously you want to get as much as much stuff in there as possible um, and and parallax and Thanos seemed like the obvious villains to um, to 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 run with the story because neither one of them see themselves as villains. Um, but as we got into it, yeah, Daryl, Daryl started making some pretty serious noise about getting Galactus in there somehow. Um, and, uh, that's, that's frankly one of your jobs as a writer is to make sure that your artist is happy and excited and, and, uh, is drawing stuff that, that he or she is, is looking forward to every day. I mean, uh, you know, page upon page of talking heads is not that exciting to draw, uh, so this is a visual medium. Um, one of the you know one of the things that's a writer's responsibility is to give the artist cool stuff to draw. Yeah. And that book definitely has a lot of cool things to draw. That was a really great issue. Yeah, speaking of favorite issues, it's it one of one of Mark's favorite issues for sure. Yeah, I think that I think of looking at certainly of all the issues you you did that it involved Kyle and Hal. I would say that's probably that is probably my favorite. And I think Green Lantern Zero might be might be the the runner up because I just love that that zero hour tie-in. But the Silver Surfer, yeah, the Silver Surfer crossover, the Unholy Alliances is just because, like you said, Thanos and Parallax just seem perfect to be in the issue, and it's just perfect that their goals are completely at odds. So it just makes it perfect. Thanks. I, they're actually both of those issues are are fairly high on my list too. Um, um, you know, like I said, the, the the crossovers in particular are just a bunch of fun to do because you're you're generally telling a story that's never been told before. You're generally working with characters who have never been on the same page before. Yeah. Oh, and, and I know it's kind of a departure from both the DC Marvel thing, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about in, in terms of your independent work, uh, something that I, I really enjoyed and, and just would kind of like to hear the 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 creative emphasis behind was uh, velocity. I really enjoyed that. 
and, I, and I'm just kind of curious about the 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 direction behind that. Um, more than anything, the direction behind that was give Kenneth Rockefort some cool stuff to draw, <laughs> um, which is which is never a bad way to approach a series, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the um, the 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 way that all came about is is uh, Velocity won the first pilot season competition for Takao, uh, which was established characters. Uh, people voted on what what they wanted to see more of, and and the Velocity one shot, which I think was by Joe Casey and Kevin McGuire, uh, won because uh, I think in in no small part because. You know, Kevin McGuire. Kevin McGuire's great. Any great cute girl was a perfect fit in terms of uh, in terms of creative casting. Um, when it became time to do the four issue, you know, the four issue series that was a payoff uh, for winning the uh, winning the the pilot season competition, um, Top Cow uh, and I, I guess Joe Casey couldn't come to an agreement on what kind of story they wanted to tell. So they parted ways. Uh, Kevin McGuire was, I believe, no longer available. And so they came to me and said, you know, do you, do you want to take up the, you know, take up the reins on this Velocity miniseries? And there was, there was no, pl- there was no um, storyline in place. It was just whatever we wanted to do. Um, and I've always really liked the character of Velocity, uh, personality-wise, and especially visually. Um, so I was I was raring to do it. Um, and then uh, Kenneth had just started doing uh, work for Cow, and I thought his stuff was just amazing. Um, so I tried to write to his strengths as much as possible, and you know came up with the idea of of telling the entire story in an hour. Um, with a with a countdown clock, which was actually a a uh, storytelling device that I had initially come up with years before, when Cully Hamner and I were uh, pitching an Hour Man miniseries to DC. We were going to do a, a new take on Hour Man, or at least a new costume on Hour Man, and tell an entire four issue miniseries in an hour. Um, that project never got off the ground, but I always had the idea of a countdown clock in a miniseries in the back of my mind. So when Velocity Chance came up, I called Cully to make sure that it was okay if I used that device uh, that we had wanted to use in a different series. He was totally cool with it. Um, so that's how that's how the uh, the Velocity miniseries ended up. You know, four-ish in. 60 minutes. Yeah, they, and Kenneth's style really worked for the whole speed angle. Uh, it, brilliantly. Um, and, and one other thing I wanted to ask you about, mostly because a friend of mine would probably uh, do me great bodily harm if I didn't ask. Uh, he's really into the Tangent series. Uh, is I think I think he actually started a podcast about Tangent. Uh, and I was just curious about it, because I know you did, you did the Power Girl and you did Metal Men, right? Right. Um, you know, mostly that just came about because I'm friends with Dan Jurgens, and he's the one who, uh, he, he came up with the tangent concept as a, you know, as a fifth week stunt, uh, which, uh, for a while in, in comics, 
um, the fifth week stunt on the on the months that there was a fifth shipping week. Um, obviously, that happens four times a year. Uh, the the months that had a fifth Wednesday in them, um, especially DC, started to do um, projects that were geared just to be that just to be published in that one week. Um, and uh, Tangent was was wholly Dan Jurgen's concept, and Dan actually came up with. Uh, almost all of the the characters, and you know, he he really basically took all of the the names of uh, established DC characters, but attached the names to completely different concepts. Um, so you know, being being friends with Dan when he initially uh, came up with it, he he got in touch and said, "Hey, we're uh, you know, I'm doing a fifth week stunt." And it's gonna, you know, come from from this this Bible I made up for a completely different universe. Do you want in? And uh, and I said, yeah, absolutely, because um, I, you know, I like to work on different things. I like to have, you know, a, a number of different flavors on the smorgasbord. Um, and that was also, you know, it was also a chance for me to work with uh, with Mike McCone again, who's who's a friend and one of my favorite artists. Uh, so. We had a, you know, we had a, a window in his schedule where he could sign on to the to the Metal Men issue, um, and then when Tangent came back again the next year, I was fortunate enough to work with uh, with Dusty Abel on the Power Girl uh, one shot. Okay. So, uh, Ron, I had a quick question. I know we don't want to keep you too much longer. Uh, retroactive. So, how was it? It must have been pretty cool going back to work with Daryl again, since you guys had a really good partnership for so long. So. So how how was that experience on that book and in general? I mean, how how was it having Daryl? I mean, I think I mean, you two were really good as you know as a team. So, so just your reflections on I mean on your period together at, at, on Green Lantern. Well, you know, obviously the the big uh, the big attraction there, even more than than going back to tell another Kyle story, was to work with Daryl again uh, and to uh, and to have Daryl be inked by Terry Austin again. Um, uh, Terry's, you know, besides being a legendary inker, uh, you know, Terry is actually one of my best friends in the world, and he's he's Uncle Terry to my kids, and you know, just the chance to kind of get the band back together for another issue was was great, and you know, and I think if anything, um, Daryl had only gotten better in the succeeding years, uh, and I think that's that's still true. I mean, we've done a few a few little things here and there in the years since and you know i think daryl's just keeps getting better and better he's not doing a lot of comics uh he's moved mostly into commercial art uh though he's not you know he's not at all um uh he doesn't turn his nose up at doing comics it's just that the you know the the opportunities have to have to come along um so there's a to, to me i'm much more interested in uh, what artists I'm working with than what characters I'm working on. Um, I'd rather work with a with a terrific artist on a, on a terrible character and try to come up with a with a cool story than you know than work on Superman or Batman with with an artist who I don't click with. Um, to, to me as a writer, your um, 
your story is ultimately only as good as the artist you're working with and and how that artist executes your story um if you write a brilliant script and the artist does a lousy job of telling the story you end up with a lousy story at the end of the day yeah, yeah chemistry obviously i mean you're right i mean chemistry not just a working relationship, but you're, but it is a medium that you know. It's it's not just a visual medium. It's not just a writing medium. It's it's both. So I, I, I my personal opinion, I agree because sometimes there are, I know there are books that I've read in which the art's been really good, but I didn't like the story and vice versa. And sometimes I've loved the story, but the art was just like, just it just kind of makes it difficult to, to keep going because the art's just not seemingly doing the story justice. So. Yeah, I feel like the you know this is a visual medium. And if you're, uh, if you as the writer or you as the reader are not interested in in the art, why did you buy a comic? You know, or why did you why did you want to work on a comic? Um, to me, the the art is the thing. You know, I, whenever I'm I'm asked, you know, what's more important, the the, the writing or the or the art? Well, the answer is the art. Uh, the, the the writing is important, yes, and it has to go with the art. But if the art's not working, the, the whole thing's useless. Good point. And just wrapping up here, Daryl. Uh, um, thank you, Ron. Ron. Daryl. <laughs> I was I was looking I was looking at a I was looking at one of your your comics and I was looking through the the creator pages. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's late. I'm sorry for blurting it for blurting it's out the really, corrections. So it's really it's really late. <laughs> uh, it, it because it's late. We don't want to keep you too much too much longer, Ron. I wanted to ask. Is there anything you'd like to promote specifically? I know that we're you know because it it's only been solicited and not a whole lot's been released about. It. I'm not sure what you can or cannot say, but I know we know you're working on the Batman and Robin and Justice League International issues of the Convergence series. Uh, and is there anything about that your upcoming work, those issues, or anything else you have coming up that you'd like to share before we let you go? Um, I'm actually working on the last bits and pieces of of JLI and Batman and Robin for convergence tonight as we speak, as soon as I'm done with you guys, I got to go back to work. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, I, obviously DC is keeping a fairly tight lid on, on the specifics of convergence, which I think they should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you know, I'm the last guy in the world that's going to, that's going to let spoilers out because, uh, you know, I think it's much better to be surprised and hopefully delighted at, at what you get between the covers of a book rather than kind of knowing the entire thing uh, um, before you go into it. Um, you know, there, hopefully those people will see these as just uh, fun comics looking back at, at uh, or not even looking back, but uh, dipping into previous eras of DC's history. Um, I'm working with Mike Manley on the JLI issues and um, Dennis Cowan and Klaus Janssen uh, on the Batman issues, and you know, Mike's stuff is terrific. Uh, I'm really happy to be working with him, but but you know, working with Dennis and Klaus is kind of a pinch me moment. Um, mm-hmm. What they're doing on the Batman stuff is just, <coughs> excuse me, just really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, there are th- those. Um, I'm doing John Carter, Warlord of Mars for Dynamite, which is. Um, a book I've literally wanted to write since I was 11 years old. So, uh, I'm finally getting to scratch that itch. Uh, still doing Witchblade for Top Cow. Um, uh, writing Skylanders for IDW, which, uh, which is really kind of a different thing for me because it's, 
you know, it's a book for kids, really. I think I, I think adults can read it and get a get a kick out of it too. But it's it's more for the age group that that plays the Skylanders video games. Uh, I'm co-writing that with my friend Dave Rodriguez, who works on the video games, um, and he uh, he actually brought me into work on the video games as well. So um, my comics career ended up pushing me into video game work, which has come back around to doing comics based on the video games. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and I'm finding that I'm, I'm really enjoying that too. Cause it's so different from anything that I've ever done. Um, it's just, it's just fun comics. I did a, I did a store signing when the initial issue of, of Skylanders came out and it was just so cool to have like a bunch of six and eight year olds show up at the comic store and be really excited about comics. It was it was very cool to see what is hopefully the next generation of readers starting to starting to uh, to find out what they find out what they like in comics. Yeah. Um, and there's there's other stuff, odds and ends, and projects that haven't been announced yet that I'm working on that uh, that have have generally kept me cooped up the entire winter. Uh, thankfully, because it's been so damn cold here. Uh, <laughs> But all of that stuff will, you know, will start to be announced uh, later in the year. Cool. And nice. the the it, it's the 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 specifics of the of where they're set has kind of been solicited. But the 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 Batman and Robin Justice League, and we know that the convergence uh, is pulling from different sections of the DC universe as it as it has previously existed in various incarnations. Can you can you say uh, where yours has been set? In terms of Justice League International, Batman and Rob, what era of DC? Uh, I yeah, I believe they've announced that the um, the JLI team is from pre-zero hour, uh, and the Batman and Robin setting is pre-Flashpoint. Okay, okay. Um, but you know, it, I, I I almost even hesitate to say that because it it makes it sound like readers need to be intimately familiar with those eras of DC history in order to to get into these comics and that's certainly not how I approached it. I, I wanted these to be, you know, to be pretty, pretty self-explanatory and, and have a sense of giving you whatever information you need within, within the story. Um, if I think if you didn't read those particular eras of DC comics, you'll still be able to read this stuff because it's uh, the, the marching orders that we were given at the beginning of this, by DC editorial was tell tell character driven stories tell stories that are about things that um, that the readers care about with these characters you know yeah. it's it's the relationships within within JLI it's the relationships between uh, Batman and Damien and Red Hood uh, and that sort of father son dynamic that that's kind of writ large with those characters um so so that's really how i approached it is is kind of digging into the characters and then you know getting a feel for how the setting was going to affect everything yeah that's that's how i approached uh you know pre-ordering various uh uh, based on solicitations and previews uh various series is because i knew it wasn't gonna you know it's what two issues per per series right so it's it's kind of a you know, 
rather than you know trying to go based on storyline, go based on creative team and what's going on. Like for instance, Swamp Thing, Len Wein, who is not buying that? <laughs> Len, Len Wein and Kelly Jones. I mean, that's 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 a that's a must buy. Uh, there's, I think there are a bunch of interesting creative teams on these books and a, and a bunch of interesting character choices. Um, and and the, all the stories have to be pretty tight because it's a it's a two month thing. You've got you've got two issues to get in and get out. So um, I mean, I certainly found that that working on the stuff forced me to really distill the characters and the and the plots to to an essence, if at all possible. If you want to throw a lantern cast shout out in the background for your, one of your artists, that's I mean that's cool. <laughs> Uh, no, but uh, s- s- seriously, the the Batman and Robin, the Justice League International, really looking forward to that. I know even some of the other team ups that are coming along in the Convergence series, like Plastic Man and the Freedom Fighters. Like, I'm ju- I'm just in on concept alone. <laughs> well, it's you know, look, they're they're in in a lot of ways. This is a it's a nice look back of across DC's history, and there's a lot of you know. There's a lot of you know sort of crazy goofy stuff in DC's history, and it's a pretty wide expanse of of character and tone and concepts. Um, you know, this is this is what comics should be like. Comics should be about big, crazy ideas and and uh, uh, you know characters that you can care about uh, in situations that are intriguing. Uh, and from what I've seen of a, of, of the other issues. It's it's really coming through on uh, on a lot of the convergence stuff. Yes, it, 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 would you say it's a celebration of DC history for sure? Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair way to uh, a, a pretty fair way to encapsulate it. Um, and and you know the 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 overall convergence series really tells its story, and I think a lot of the convergence uh, two issue series uh, pr- stand on their own pretty well. There's you know. There are different aspects that, that tie in a bit here and there, but um, it's not one of these things where um, where there's a gun to your head and you're being forced to buy you know a hundred issues over over two months to get the entire storyline. Uh, you, you can cherry pick. Uh, you can you can read the ones that appeal the most to you, and I think feel pretty satisfied that you're getting uh, you're getting a complete story. Sure. Well, we definitely look forward to those issues, and we wanted to thank you again so much for coming on. We've wanted to have you on for a very long time now, and we're so glad that you decided to make time for us. Uh, we, we don't we don't want to keep you any longer and be the reason uh, con- your, your issues are going to be... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if one of these things ships late, I know who they're going to blame. <laughs> we're trying... You know, if DC would acknowledge us, we, we, we would hope to God that they don't... They don't... They don't hear about us in a negative sense these guys are the ones that caused this book to be late <laughs> we'll we'll be re-blackballed after this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank, thank once again thank you very much for coming on ron it's been great no problem guys happy to do it well thank you again we look forward to seeing your stuff and again we wanted to just personally between the two of us and and on behalf of a lot of our listeners thank you so much for for Kyle Rayner for for everything that you've done to contribute to this mythos. I mean, this year, uh, Green Lantern as a concept is 75 years, and you contributed a great deal to that. We just really wanted to thank you for that. It's uh, 
it's allowed me not to have a real job for the last 25 years, so I'd like to keep it that way. <laughs> uh, we'll do what we can for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ron. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Ron. Bye. All right, and that was Ron Mars, guys. I mean, <laughs> what else could you ask for? What did you think of that, man? I mean, that's your first interview, man. What did you think? Well, I hope I did all right, but he, he did certainly make it easier on us because from a segue point of view, he was the gift I kept on giving, so it was great. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. And I, I mean, I, Ron, Ron has a huge, uh, a huge history, you know, with, with, with the comics industry. Um, and just just so you guys know, Ron does has, has you know, I, I've said it uh, already, done a lot for the comics industry, and I would get into it here now, but... This is the first time we've had him on the show, and this is the Lantern cast. So, you know, obviously we focus pretty heavily on the Green Lantern stuff, but I really encourage you to go to Ron's. What do you remember? What Ron's the, the link to Rod's website was, Mark? I know it was it was just like his name com, right, or something like that. I don't. I had it open too. I think yeah. I think it, I think it is yeah. Ronmars com. Yeah, Ronmars com. Uh, there's an about section over there, and that's how Mark and I found you know, links to the various things that he has creator credits on and just browse through that stuff, guys. I mean, he's got a extensive backlog of, of creator credits in, in the comics industry. And uh, although, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, you know, as, as much as I love the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series, they've got to get sick of people saying, you know, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series was so historic and, you know, people asking the same questions over, you know, it's been out since the 70s. You know, people asking the same questions over and over about the historic significance of the runs <laughs> from the 70s up until today. It's got to get annoying or boring or, you know, something you know, tedious at some point or another. And, and you know, the first time we have – it's the first time we have Ron on, we really want to ask those questions that he's probably already been asked a billion times. But we want to hear – you know, just just for our own edifice, and that's kind of why we threw in other things such as you know the the what if stuff and convergence and you know velocity and just to kind of get a small snippet of the things that Ron has done outside of Green Lantern because we love we love creators on here, especially the ones that give us the time of day. So when when they give us the time of day, we kind of want to give it back and go, guys, you know this is as much as we're interviewing them for. Things such as Green Lantern, they're responsible for so much more. And if you really enjoyed what they did on, for instance, the Green Lantern series, especially with Kyle Rayner, you should really check out what Ron's done on other things. What he did when he was writing just a few issues of Thor, what he was doing once with Silver Surfer was happening, a couple of pitch issues of uh, of uh, What If, like he said, you know, and several other things out there. Work at Top Cow and, and various things like that. It's 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 a uh, it's a body of work worthy of diving into. Absolutely. Just like you said, Mench, just looking at everything on his website, some of the things that we obviously knew about and some of the things that if we, we may have known about at, at one point, but kind of it's easy to you know gloss over it because you just think of you think of for us, we tend to think of Green Lantern and we then and we tend to think of, you know, Silver Surfer 2 and things like that. But then you look at all the other things, all the other things that he's done and and, and we didn't even really touch upon Witchblade, which is another thing we could, you know, if this was a witch, Witchblade podcast, we would have been quizzing him about that left and right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of he, if you go, especially if you go, go to the about section on his web on his website, and you'll, you can just get an idea of all the different issues and all the different and all the different books that he's worked on, and it's 
very impressive. Yeah, I think I'm definitely going to pick up his uh, his Convergence titles. Uh, you know, I Batman. I'm not. You know, those those specific character groups aren't necessarily groups I have a history or connection with, so I wasn't really planning on getting them. But and I and I was, I, but I was definitely like, you know, I had my list of Convergence titles. I was going to for sure get, you know, Len Wein Swamp Thing, uh, Greg Rucka's Question, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and then, like, a secondary list of things I'm interested in I kind of want to hear more about before I decide. You know, Ron just totally sold me on on his issues. He sounds excited. He sounds like, you know, even though he didn't really say it, it kind of sounds like he's trying something new in terms of, not not necessarily new because of his time in the industry, but just, like, you know, something that he hasn't done in a while or maybe is new to... Uh, or re-new to the DC universe uh, as it is in terms of condensing things into, what did he say? He said, uh, you know, kind of character arcs, right, rather than story, you know. Character-driven, yeah, character-driven story. Exactly, which is what we've been wanting from DC forever. And given Ron's history and the stuff that he's done that we love, the fact that he's excited about it, the fact that they're character-driven stories, it doesn't really, you know, all that combined kind of supersedes my whether or not I have a history or specific interest in that character or group of characters. So definitely sold on those two, those two, uh, well, I guess those four issues. So yeah. two for each title. <clears throat> yep. Should be good. I mean, I'm, I am looking forward to convergence and I think, and I'm interested in the miniseries cause obviously that's going to be the glue to see where, you know, if there are going to be permanent changes to the DC universe, the new 52 universe, obviously those seeds are going to take root in the Convergence miniseries itself. But to me, it just, like I like I think I mentioned in the interview, it just seems like, at least as far as the hype and the enthusiasm, everything seems to be built around the miniseries, even if it's just... And I guess we'll know once Convergence comes and goes, whether it's just because it was kind of like, yes, like, you know, taking it taking it the trip down memory lane, paying respect to the to the history of the DC universe, or whether it's a way of kind of bringing some of that back, or whether it was just a kind of like a tip of the hat to it. Obviously, we'll, in a couple of months from now, we'll actually have a better idea of what what it all means. But even if it is just you know a, a almost like a look a look back at times and characters in those periods that we liked that it's still going to be something pretty cool, and it's it's there's still going to be stories that would. I think will stand on their own, even if they don't. You know, even if these, even if it doesn't wrap up or follow into you know current DC continuity again. So I think it's going to be cool, and I'm and I'm, I'm interested in the, in the miniseries, and I'm just I'm just hoping Convergence is pretty good. Sounds like it's going to be well. Do you, I mean, might as well just let this up, this uh, interview speak for itself. You want to go ahead and give the closing? Sure. If you'd like to email us, email us at. at lanterncast at gmail.com lanterncast at gmail.com you can visit our website lanterncast.com you can where our new ep- the latest episodes are posted ring cyclopedia episodes you can follow us on twitter and like us on facebook use hashtag glcast to find us on both we're on itunes and stitcher and if you like us on itunes please leave us a positive review and last but not least if you'd like to leave us a voicemail call us at 708 lantern 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. Uh, next time around, 
Well, I won't play around and pretend we don't know. Mark and I had a conversation. We're basically planned out through the end of summer. <laughs> we know. And we will be doing the February books really soon. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. We just wanted to we just wanted to get this out because we were super excited about it. Uh, and before we go, guys, um, he mentioned his stuff that he's got coming up. Uh, but uh, if you guys want to, you know, kind of keep in touch uh, or kind of, you know, uh, keep an eye on what uh, Ron has coming out. I would probably recommend following him on Twitter. Um, he seems to be pretty active uh, over on Twitter. Uh, he's one of the few accounts that we, as the Lantern Cast, follow, and he's constantly popping up in the feed. Which is not to say he's always on Twitter, but he is active enough on there that I think you'll get a good sense when something releases that he's excited about or has personally worked on. You'll definitely hear about it there. So I definitely would recommend following him on Twitter, and of course RonMars.com. Yes. Dot com. All right, guys. Uh, talk to you next time. Next time, uh, we'll just leave it a mystery. <laughs> How appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate, as, since it, it will be a surprise to pretty much everybody except you, me, and Jim. <laughs> Spoilers! That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very little spoiler, though. It could be anything. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.